I just miss like the sexy Cenobites. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Greater delights await. We wish to see you proceed. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris. I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week, I'm joined by the superfly space guy, Mac. So if I solve it, do I get a prize? The cowardly creeper, Ryan. Save your breath for screaming and the classic horror connoisseur sean we have such sights to show you this episode is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in below the waist grooming this week we're checking out a reimagining of a clive barker tale we originally reviewed in episode 231 the early to mid 2000s saw a wave of remakes and reboots of classic slasher icons including michael myers freddy krueger and jason Voorhees. while chucky would gain his own reimagining in 2019 One group of iconic villains have been intended for reboot since 2006. After a revolving door of writers, directors, and production studio interests, a remake was greenlit in 2019 and David Bruckner was charged with leading a new take on Clive Barker's 1986 horror novella, The Hellbound Heart. The film ultimately released on Hulu and follows a young woman who comes into possession of a puzzle box. What she doesn't know, however, is the box is designed to summon a group of supernatural beings from another dimension. This week, we're talking about the newest retelling of Hellraiser. Now, Sean, the original Hellraiser was a universal slash for us a few episodes ago. How would you have rated it had you been on that episode with us? I definitely would have rated the original uh, Hellraiser a slash for sure. So I think we would have, if had I been on that episode, it would have still been a universal slash for sure. I remember watching that movie as a kid, probably at like 10 or 11, which is maybe too young to watch a movie like that. I don't know. But uh, I just remember not understanding the film until I watched it in later years. And now I remember it as being a really strange, kinky, gory, macabre, really grotesque, wet film. So wet. Wet is such a specific and accurate way to describe that movie. I think we all kind of you know, lamented about how gooey it was uh, in our last episode about it. And I remember having that same sensation, right? That how did anyone allow me to watch this when I was that young? It seems absolutely insane. But uh, for the rest of you here, what were you expecting going into this? You know, one of the reasons I've always enjoyed Hellraiser films is it's like one of the few times I think we get to see the the really bad guys win. Um, So primarily for me, it's like seeing Pinhead really get to do some some cool, gnarly stuff. But the trouble is there's been some like attempts at a recast of Pinhead in the past that just didn't go over well. So I had no idea what to expect because obviously I hadn't watched it yet, but I just knew that that kind of tainted my expectations for this film when we got into it. I think I mentioned it right as we started the watch party for it that I was just like, it's not Doug Bradley. And so I think it's probably going to be, you know, not as good of a Pinhead. But I did think that we were going to get either more gore or just like better gore and like more torture for sure. I think the biggest thing that I was considering is like this movie going straight to Hulu. And I know that like, you know, we don't live in the straight to DVD era. I get it. Like a lot of good things do go straight to streaming, but I don't know. It does still have an impact. And 
Fortunately, I had just recently watched Prey on Hulu and that left such a good feeling with me. And I was like, man, why wasn't this in theaters? And so this movie, I kind of went in kind of thinking the same thing. Like, why isn't this in theaters? Is this going to be good enough that it should have been? I think my expectations were pretty mid. I think like I was afraid that they would try to do too much and it wouldn't go well. And I had heard Max say that like before it hasn't gone well trying to redo Pinhead. So I was just a bit skittish, I'd say about it. Yeah, I think uh, I think whenever you're rebooting a film of this caliber, right, I, with such iconic characters, especially one that's become like a cult classic, uh, you have high expectations for, for the film to be great. I remember the original being like a strange mix of kinky gore turning desires like into twisted perversions of pain and, and torture. Um, but that that being said, I was really hoping that this this movie was going to do Clive Barker's vision justice. And so I did have high expectations for this film and, and really hoping that it was going to deliver. Yeah, I don't know that I, I came in with so many expectations beyond an open mind, but I did have hopes. And I really, really hoped that we'd get Decenobites more front and center this time around. Based on the trailer alone, I went in thinking that they're going to feel a little bit more vicious and feel less kind of like a consequence or a side effect like they did in the original movie. When we got the trailer, I remember sitting down in a break room and I couldn't hear it at the time. But I was so excited about what I saw. And I saw the intensity of the priest who is this version of Pinhead. I was really excited to hear about Jamie Clayton's casting as the priest. And I remember just seeing the intensity of some of these change, some of the Cenobites and their appearance. And so I had high hopes for it. And I'll say that we watched this as a watch party, our first ever like community watch party uh, leading into an episode. And man, was it so fun. First off, I think this is a great movie to watch as community. And it has some of these moments that make you feel a little squeamish at times. And it's such a good movie to have someone next to you or, you know, virtually across from you uh, to join in on those reactions as well. But I remember just feeling tense. I remember feeling hopeful. I remember being a little bit shocked in some moments. And really, I was left with a feeling that I haven't felt gore-wise since I saw Terrifier for the first time. And now let me be clear, that's not like this movie is Terrifier, because absolutely not. You cannot get that one kill you get in Terrifier in this. But it gave me a similar sensation of just like chills and heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I mean, the the effects in the gore were increased for sure, but they were fantastic. The thing that I liked while we were watching this is that it was just like a very different story from the original film and from the novella, like completely different. I mean, obviously based on the same type of material and the same lore, but I found it compelling. You know, when we're watching this, like it kept my interest throughout and I didn't hate Pinhead. I think nobody can perfectly match Doug Bradley's presence, but this film proves that it's okay if you can give us a powerful, beautifully evil Pinhead, or in this case, the, the, the older name, the Hell Priest. I feel similar things to what you guys felt. One of the things that like pulled most of my attention in this movie was the effects and the character design. Obviously, the Cenobites, like we said in the original Hellraiser, they're the star of the show. So it's absolutely what I cared the most about. The gore hits like the perfect spot for me. It doesn't go to Terrifier for me at all. It's just like exactly what you expect from like 
sex demons, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I got to say, I really enjoyed the score of the film. I thought the music was really was really on point. I, I immediately think of like the music that was playing when going into, you know, going into the mansion. I thought that the music throughout the film, this, uh, the cinematography, visually, it was very stunning. At the same time, my feelings while watching the movie, there was so much things that were visually really impressive and, and gory and different things like that. But I didn't, uh, I didn't feel shocked in any way, which was interesting, right? So when I think of, uh, Chris, when you, when you said like that reminded you of Terrifier, right? I think of Terrifier as like, it's just so intensely brutal and like cringy and hard to like watch some of that stuff happen. And this one, like when I'm watching, when I'm watching this film, I'm like almost captivated. I'm like watching it because it's like it's 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 bringing me in, right? But I dem- I never felt so shocked that I was like it was standoffish in a way. Totally agree. Yeah, there's a lot in here that deviates from the original without shocking you. I did appreciate how much we get of a different approach to the lore or the presence of the Cenobites and even just like the journey of like the lament configuration and even this movie and the way it approaches its characters. You know, we start things off pretty hot and heavy in the original film and it kind of just goes from there. And in this one, we get almost like a slasher approach, right? We start off with a moment and a lot of it is like, you know, what, what you see in the trailer, but then it kind of gives you on a slow burn where it's setting up the rest of the story. And at no point did I ever feel bored, which I think is is something that surprises me because in the original, you had this slower pacing of, you know, someone kind of being resurrected and having to have these sacrifices made to them so that they could ex- escape the Cenobites. But that's not the case here. And it plays with that in a very interesting way. So I, I found their approach refreshing. I found it surprising that they could take the Cenobites in this direction. But I don't know that I ever f- even felt disappointed with anything. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the pacing that they have in this film. And it's kind of crazy to be thinking about it that it's only two hours. Like this could have been, hey, we're going to make two films. They could have split this up how they wanted to. Because I was really surprised how quickly we dove into Hellraiser lore. And then like how deep we went into it for a two hour reboot like this, they, they gave a lot of details that we didn't even hear about for probably two or maybe even three movies in the, in the original setup. So it was impressive. Like they wanted to get some quick facts out. They wanted to get some lore out. We wanted to dive into why things happen. And I, I didn't, again, I wasn't disappointed, but like, I didn't expect that in something that happened, de- you know, something that's made decades later. You know, that's a great point. I was actually just talking about this movie at work today and someone asked if this is, as vague as some of the other movies are about you know, just like the lore. And I didn't say that it was as vague. I didn't say that. Obviously, I don't think this movie like hands you everything you need to know. Like this isn't like Cenobites for Dummies, but it is kind of starter pack for Hellraiser. And I think what surprised me most is how great of an entry point this is to the Hellraiser universe and franchise in terms of just piecing things together. You know, I think Ryan, you mentioned in our original Hellraiser episode that you're just along for the ride and you're not questioning anything because, like, why would you even need to? But this one, I think for me, gave me a similar experience because it was actually explaining things throughout the process, not just because 
it was so fascinating. I didn't have time to wonder. Yeah, I agree. I was in a similar situation with this one where I was just like a bit along for the ride. Some of it was explained. Some of it I was like, eh, I don't know. But I just, again, literally stepped my step back for a second and thought the point is not for me to understand this because these are, you know, again, like interdimensional BDSM people. Okay. Like I don't need to understand. That's not the point. But I think my like biggest surprise was how different the story was and how different the Cenobites felt for me. And we'll talk about that more, but to me, they were not the same thing. Like maybe aside from Pinhead, aside from Pinhead, the whole rest of the group, they just felt very different in this movie versus the original Hellraiser. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you, uh, Ryan, for sure. I think some of the things that I that I felt and, and some of the surprises that I noticed, would, aside from like the story being different and things like that, I think the Cenobites uh, visually were just different for me. I don't know if it was bad or good. I will definitely like unpack it later for sure. But I think different, definitely. I, I remember telling you, Chris, uh, when I watched this film uh, for the first time the other day that like I was kind of on the fence with it, right? And and I think about that and I, I don't I don't know why I couldn't really put my finger on it. But it, it, one of the things that kind of stood out for me was was the character development, right? Like I don't I didn't feel like in, invested in any of these characters personally. And maybe that's just a personal thing. I don't know. Um, we could probably talk about that a little bit more as well. But the characters didn't resonate with me. Sometimes when you just show up to like a bad time in some people's lives, you're like, well, you've already gone down the wrong path. I, I, there will be no relating to you at this point. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. The characters had an interesting arc. And again, for me, like Hellraiser, I don't think was particularly scary, but the Cenobites had a certain thing to them. This one maybe doesn't. So I didn't find it to be scary at all. Okay. I'm going to explain why I don't, I mean, I'm not scared of any movie, but I didn't really find this movie scary because to me, Hellraiser has always been kind of like the horror version of like Marvel superheroes. Cause I'm finally getting to see bad guys win. And each of them has like a, like their own personality, their own powers in many cases, their own like cool uniforms that they wear. So it's like kind of watching the X-Men from hell. Um, so it's, it's almost in this movie, especially a little too actiony to even be like scary. I think if you were to watch the OG when you were 11 years old, you might be like, I'm not going to turn the lights out tonight. Um, when you, if you were to watch this one, of course you, yeah, you probably think the same thing, but like as an adult, I don't really find like a lot of, a lot of scary topics here. It's just like watching another cool actiony movie with, with sweet gory effects. There's also something about Hellraiser that feels like slightly opt in. You know, like, like I'm not at risk of this because I'm not playing with that box. So I'm good. Again, it's the whole fuck around and find out, right? Like we've talked about this recently as of late. And I don't know that I 100% agree that the original would seem a little bit more fear inducing than this one. Because in the original, it's just slimy and gross. And there is someone evil who was up and said come to him and then he was trying to like slip his way out of it, right? But in this movie, they make the Cenobites much more threatening. And yes, it is opt-in, right? So if you don't opt-in, you're good. But then again, a lot of the people in this movie didn't opt-in either. And they were just trying to be supportive. And they were just trying to be a good friend, uh, a good support system. And then they got shanked every once in a while. Then here we are, right? So this movie, I think, actually paints the bigger picture of like, there are consequences that will reach you, even if you're not trying to be invested or involved at all, 
Whereas in the original Hellraiser, yes, there are some people who were not directly trying to be involved, but they did have a little bit more of a hand in what was happening. And I think the just the threat level of the Cenobites in this one was much more interesting. And while I don't think it makes the movie scary, I do think that these Cenobites are more frightening than the original. For me, personally, which I think is a fresh take. Interesting. I, I think, yeah, the, the Cenobites are definitely frightening to look at. Uh, when I think of this movie, when I think of the original, I, I don't think this movie is scary. I don't think it's frightening. If I could describe this movie in, a, in, a, in like a few words, I would describe it as beautifully grotesque, where the movie lacks in like jump scares and being actually scary as far as you being frightened throughout the film uh, or getting that heart rate up. It makes up for in like the, the lore and the mythology of all of this and the Cenobites and the and the visually stunning set design. So I think I don't think it's frightening, but definitely grotesque and beautiful to look at. Yeah, and I suppose I should clarify that I did not see other versions of Hellraiser. Right, like I haven't seen anything that came after the original. So I'm sure that the Cenobites there get much more action and are much more threatening and are much more dangerous. But I think when you think about the biggest scenes in the original, those Cenobites tear people to shreds or tear people to part, but they were very much in the background of things. And so, yes, Pinhead's chains are really just doing a lot of the work here. But in this one, I felt th- more of a threat from the others, which I found different. Yeah, they they made some some great changes here. I think the the fact that they went with a new story was a fantastic choice, right? I mean, the novella and the, and the movie, they're like nearly identical when it comes to the story, but they kept things really fresh here, like fresh characters, fresh story, fresh take on the Cenobites. They were like, we're not just going to make it again for 2022. We want this to be a compelling movie all on its own. And I think that makes it enjoyable if you're someone who enjoyed the, like the original bazillion movies that were out. Or if you're someone who's like brand new to it, I think you can still get in uh, into it either way. Because if if they just rehash what we had already seen, this would have been so boring, and we would all have been disappointed. And so it was a great choice to change things up a bit in in some smart ways. Yeah, I think I agree. It hits a weird note for originality for me because obviously it's a a reboot. I can't fully say it's original in, in its approach, but it does have some pieces that are there. So this movie gets originality points for me just for being able to, I think what you were saying, Mac, bring, being able to bring a fresh take on the mythology and the lore surrounding the Cenobites and like the Rubik's Cube of death. You know what I mean? The film does a good job bringing you what you would expect like as a fan of the franchise while like finding a way to stand out on its own and bringing like a modern and fresh adaptation to the franchise. Um, so I think it has to get some originality points for that. What I would say is like, how cool would it be to get like a pinhead origin story? I know we've gotten origin stories or tidbits throughout the, I believe at least the first two films. That's all I've seen. I've seen Hell, original Hellraiser and the initial sequel. I know there's like 10 films or 11 films or something like that. I have I definitely haven't seen all of those, but I know they kind of give you some history as to how Pinhead became to be. Maybe it exists. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's out there, but it would be cool to see the actual story of Pinhead. Yeah, keep watching because if if you go back if you go back in time and start watching the other movies, you will get a complete story, basically a complete story for why Pinhead is Pinhead. Um but we have a new Pinhead now. 
And I think it was a great choice not to start the movie there because they could have just done that. They could have just said, let's tell the story of how we get the hell priest and that'll be the new Hellraiser. And again, I think it would have been boring. Just like, you know, a couple of years ago, somebody decided to do something very similar for another horror icon and it didn't go well. Looking at you, Michael Myers. And so I think if they had done that here, it would have been really bad. I think it's great if they can make a movie that invests you in the universe and then you can go and dive in and learn more about characters because the, I mean, Clive Barker, like, has a lot of detail that's out there. You could probably just make a spinoff movie in the universe and it would still be really interesting, which kind of bothered me about like when we got to the ending of this film, because that's where it kind of left what I had in my mind as like the established way of doing things in Clive Barker's Hellraiser universe. I think it was, it was a solid ending, you know, enough and it worked for the movie. I wasn't mad at it, but we just like, we hit this line where had they crossed it, we would have been in cheesiness territory. But thankfully, I don't think they, fu- I don't think they fully crossed it, right? I think they just tiptoed. They went to the threshold, but they didn't keep going. So I would say as a human who is not like exceptionally knowledgeable on the Hellraiser universe, I've seen the original one and this one, the end of like the story didn't feel out of place or anything for me. It didn't feel like it, it didn't feel like a change where sometimes when people deviate from like the original story. It feels like it. You're like, what the heck? Who wrote that? It didn't feel that way for me. However, when you're talking about the ending, I have to just say, visually, the very last scene of this movie, um, it it could be a nightmare for how bad it is, not because it's scary or anything, but just because there are pieces of it where I was just like, what, why is it, why does it look like that? It's all based around how it looks, not what's happening, just why does it look like that? It looked horrible. That's interesting that you didn't like it. I thought the ending and the scene that you're talking about, I think, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was visually really cool to see. I, I, I really enjoyed it. So it's really interesting that you got that take from it, but that ending was super successful for me and and it solely is because of that last scene. Yeah, I actually appreciated to an extent because it was more practical than CGI. And after like doing a little bit of research and learning just how little CGI they use in this movie is pretty damn impressive. So I think the ending could have looked better. Absolutely. But I like the compromises that were made in the effort of like preserving a nod to the original and its practical effects. But I will say that the ending, Mac, you you mentioned they went to a line and didn't fully cross it. I think they went over it just a bit. I, I really do. I didn't hate the ending by any means. I didn't even dislike it. At the end of the day, I was satisfied with how this story concluded. But I do feel like it was a lot of going somewhere to not get very far at all. I think we end up in a, with a really, really cool shot at the end that is promising, but it's kind of like just like a deflating moment. And I will elaborate more on that in the second half. Again, the what's like, what's on paper is how this movie concludes. I'm fine with, but emotionally, it just kind of went flat. It's kind of like the note we hit and they slash them. You know what? No, I think that would be unfair to Hellraiser 2022 because they slash them was just a terrible ending. A terrible movie. Right. But you have that sort of feeling where you're like watching it and you're going, please. Okay. This one didn't get that bad. And and I'll, I'll stick to my idea that they didn't fully cross the line. I just think the stakes were so high in this film. And Hellraiser has a history of saying, F it, we don't care about anybody. That I wish they had ended things in, in a similar way. I wish they would have just said... If you like have grown close to a character, we are most definitely not going to treat that character well. I, I truly wish they had done that here. 
Well, clearly we're moderately divided on the ending, but let's see how that impacts our ratings. Now, as we consider how we're going to score this movie, Ryan, what's the gore score? The gore score for this one is pretty high. It's not the insane terrifier vibes, but it's a high gore score. But what about the animal report? The animal report is joyfully not bad. It's all good in the hood. No need to worry about anything. Fantastic. So while you will cringe, it won't be for a dog at least. Yeah, this movie is about torturing humans, not dogs. Fantastic. Let's go ahead and get into our ratings then. Hellraiser from 2022, now streaming on Hulu. Is it a hack or a slash? What I was saying before is that first, I didn't know how I felt about this movie. There was something that I couldn't quite put my finger on. What ended up happening was this movie made me like the movie when I really wanted to love the movie. I was able to watch it a second time through. Fortunately, I was able to fit that in. And I feel as though the movie did really pay respect to Clive Barker's vision while being able to bring some of its own originality to it. The movie is visually beautiful and beautifully unsettling, if you will. I got to give the movie a slash. It's a slash for me, dog. I don't think it's perfect, but it did grab my attention and it captivated me through the entirety of the film. I'm going to agree with a lot of things that you've said. One of the big things that like felt weird for me is, again, how different the Cenobites are here. Like they, they just don't have like the magic that they have in the original for me. And like, I don't know, like the, I feel like they have like a, a mag, a magnetism, a desire about them. Not that I'm attracted to them because they're horrific looking people, but I don't know. The first one, there was just a special spark. And for me, this one lacked that. And, you know, we kind of mentioned the characters were just kind of like, I didn't find myself like hugely invested in them. But overall, I enjoyed this. This felt like a very good take on just like, I want to say a classic horror movie, but not in a sense of like classic horror, just like, pretty straightforward, like something's going to happen. We have to go some places, see some people do some things. We end up in a final place with like something going on. And I was happy with that. Not it. I don't mean that in a bad way at all. So this is going to be a slash for me. I don't prefer it over the original, but it's not a bad movie. Yeah, this this film thankfully exceeded my expectations. I think it was successful in delivering a satisfying new take on an established franchise, which is what a reboot is supposed to do. Jamie Clayton serves us a powerful pinhead and Odessa Azion as Riley gives us someone who's troubled and someone who's worth caring about, not only to the other characters, but I think as, you know, as a viewer, the supporting cast, I think just does a good enough job, but the effects, the costumes, the props, the set design and the amped up Cenobites are like next level. I, I think it's okay that we have the original Hellraiser and then this Hellraiser as separate films that we can enjoy without having to have them compete against each other. I think this is a good time and it's a slash. You said it very well, Mac. This movie is absolutely a good time. I remember finishing this movie and just kind of having my jaw hung open for a little bit because it was so much more than I, again, not necessarily expected, but hoped, right? I hoped for more threatening Cenobites. I hoped for something that would put them more front and center and would allow them to have more presence. And this movie had its moments where it gave in some ways I didn't want it to give. It gave me things I didn't want to receive. It gave me a character that I was ready to go for a very long time throughout the movie. Uh, but it also keyed up some really satisfying moments. And then the more I sat back and, and thought about this movie from start to finish, the more I, I appreciated the architecture of the movie. Because it wasn't just the amazing visual effects. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just the presence of Jamie Clayton as 
powerful as she is. This movie did a thing where it took a complicated story, a complicated antagonist, and it really simplified the entire thing. And it made it palatable and easy to digest in a way that still leaves me curious and in a way that gave me a more satisfaction than I I ever thought I could have from another Hellraiser movie. So I don't know that I would say I, I that I like this more than or equal to the original. I think this is a separate take, right? I think as someone who loved the original as a child and then kind of like re-experienced it again, I don't think it's even fair to put these two in the same ballpark. But I think this is a strong movie on its own two legs. It has its own merit and it's a slash. Now, with that, Hellraiser from 2022 has under Universal Slash. It runs in the family. There we go. Now, you can find this movie streaming on Hulu, so go check it out. Then join us in the second half so we can crack open that box together. See you in a bit. You know what Cenobites are really into? Smooth skin and mowed lawns. They have such sights to show you, and you've got to be ready. But finally, you won't have to torture yourself to make them happy. Support for Hacker Slash is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for all your grooming needs. Manscaped sent us the new Performance Package 4.0, their ultimate hygiene bundle, and it's amazing. You know we believe horror is for everyone, and as it turns out, so is Manscaped. My favorite thing is the Lawnmower 4.0. It's an awesome groomer that I'm not afraid to use, and it literally has a spotlight to see where you're going. Once you're all Cenobite approved down there or wherever you need to go trim, you can slide into some Manscaped boxers, which might be the second softest thing I've ever felt. Join us and over 4 million individuals worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code slash 20 at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for the 2022 Hellraiser now streaming on Hulu, which has earned a universal slash. Now, we have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, Ryan, take us through the kills. So we get a bunch of interesting deaths from this. And honestly, a lot of them are um, very chainy, very chain heavy. My favorite is actually probably like the least exciting of them all. But what were your favorite kills? So my favorite kill is Nora going out in the van, getting the back ripped off at the end of it. Loved everything about it. Just like a really good Hellraiser kill. Like the feeling of of seeing her friends just going further and further away, feeling that helplessness and then being trapped in midair, right? And then like she's like trying to pray her way out of it. And famously, Pinhead laughs at those kind of situations. And similarly here, it's like you're you're doing this uh to no avail. Nothing's gonna come of your prayers here. And um yeah, I'm gonna have my way with you and rip apparently your back flesh off. Man, and also the internal view we got. Oof. Yeah, we saw a lot. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I got to say, my my favorite kill in this movie, it's interesting, right? I think it's not a real kill. So my favorite kill was when Riley is first encountering the Cenobite and literally gets like 
the the mark like what is the pentagram the mark or whatever carved into her chest and then her chest like implodes i guess for lack of better words and then you see the chains coming through the whole of the chest like i know it wasn't an actual kill because it was kind of like a a vision or a dream or something of that nature but it was uh, one of the coolest scenes, one of the coolest kill scenes in the movie. Ooh, okay. I have to agree with that. And it actually is part of my favorite scene in the whole movie. But as far as a death goes, I'm torn between two. And Ryan, I'll let you take yours before I reveal what my second one was. But I think my most emotionally satisfying kill was Trevor finally getting wrecked because fuck Trevor. I was ready for him to go from the get go. Yeah, that guy sucked a lot. And honestly, it was quite clear that he sucked. Like, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I'm sure everybody could tell, but I was like, dang girl, you don't, you don't see this man being who he is right in front of you. That's the worst thing. My favorite kill was actually the chatterer. And mostly it was because of how impactful that moment was. I didn't know they would kill one of their own. And, you know, we didn't really see him get torn apart, but the unexpected moment where he just literally explodes. It was amazing. I loved it. I was I was not prepared for that one at all. All the others, I felt like we had enough lead up. But all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, this man's getting chained up by his own people. And then poof, he's gone. Honestly, that was my second favorite. Ooh, because it was the shock of the moment. It was the, oh, wait, all bets are off. Yeah, it was pretty good. And the last thing I want to say about like deaths and kills, I think that we'll talk a lot about effects as we like go through, but the kill effects in this movie all to me felt really good. Like I, I really enjoyed almost all of them. And again, I did kind of mention the last scene with Voight being turned into a Cenobite. I, did not like that, but the rest of it felt pretty good. There are those some moments in this movie where the effects don't hit for me. Like, I don't know. This is a very weird one. Sometimes I'm obsessed with them and sometimes I'm not, but the kills all felt really good. Like that was like their focus. They did have some really cool stuff visually. The The kills are, are part of it. The Cenobites are another part of it. But my favorite thing to look at here is when the Cenobites show up and people like are seeing the rooms and the world change around them because it felt it felt like real enough, you know, because when we see these kills and we see like their flesh getting like blown off or peeled off or whatever it's going to be, like it looks pretty great. Some of the times we're looking at the Cenobites and they kind of look a little too polished. And so like that kind of works. But when the world around them starts slowly and then more speedily separating and the walls are moving and they just see like rock and earth and whatever, like hell, I guess. That looks so cool. And it reminds me of, reminds me of like a music video for some reason, but I just think it worked especially well in this movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think those effects were really cool. Best visual element for me outside of that would be the actual effects of the kills, the gore. I think the gore in the film, it was just super tasteful, right? Like the gore was there. It was in your face, but it was, it was without sounding like a, an absolute creep or serial killer it was beautiful to look at in a way like it was just really cool the way they presented it um and it wasn't just uh, it wasn't something where i had to like cringe or look away from or or anything like that so the visual effects of the actual gore and the kills were were where it's at for me yeah i totally agree i'm gonna give a specific one that was my favorite which is when voight has the like mechanism inside of him removed and his 
muscles and his bones and his skin and his tendons and everything starts to come back together. It was so, so freaking good. I was just kind of amazed in that moment. Like, man, I don't know exactly what y'all did, but I love it. It felt very practical. A lot of things here felt very practical, but that was my absolute favorite like visual effect moment. So cool. I think that's one that made me cringe the most, not necessarily because it was the grossest looking, but because of thinking of all that pain, right? Because we see the nerves and the tendons all torn up into that gear. And to just imagine that just gave me chills. But visually for me, the Cenobites absolutely take the stage. We have them in almost like black robes and in PVC or kind of like BDSM adjacent clothing in the original franchise. But to see them here where their own flesh and their own muscle and bone and ligaments are what's like kind of adorning them, absolutely chilling. These Cenobites look badass. And I think that coupled with the cinematography, coupled with how they kind of exist in the corners of the frame and the periphery of the shots is really what builds so much anticipation. It builds so much suspense in this movie. It's what really helps deliver the sentiment of the movie. And I think that element of this is one of the like most shining stars of this film. Okay, I feel you. Like The Cenobites definitely have something, but without hating on these Cenobites, they don't hit for me. They feel like aliens in this movie. This feels like alien. This is alien BDSM people. And I don't want alien BDSM people. I want interdimensional BDSM people that just like have, you know, like there was just like a feeling, there was a style that they had, you know, like the big boy was wearing those like round glasses. There's just a thing that they had in the last one that they don't have here. They are still something here, but it is not the same. And I, I understand they're different movies, but like, man, I just miss like the sexy Cenobites. Back in my day, they wore black <laughs> negligee. Back in my day, they wore some leather. Yeah. Okay. So him wearing black sunglasses is enough sci-fi for me, bro. Like they're like, you know, interdimensional <laughs> space people, but here they're it's just their flesh and they're exposed you know what i mean like this feels more like torture and body modifications versus the original where they kind of look just like supernatural entities but it was like pushed too far that it didn't feel like real body modification anymore like some of them a couple of them did but a bunch of the peripheral ones like it just felt like okay they've just been like unwrapped and i don't know it just didn't i just didn't hit the same that's all i got i think if I had to like use analogies for it, the Cenobites from the earlier movies were like, Hey, BDSM is raunchy and gross and we shouldn't talk about it. And in this movie, it's like, no, this is accepted. And we understand that everyone has different likes and different interests. And now we're going to let people flourish with it. I've got to align with Ryan on this one. When you, when you're looking back at the original Cenobites versus this one, like, yes, visually they were cool. They were awesome. Like you can see like visually very cool, but yes, when someone said earlier they were polished, like they do feel more like I'm watching a sci-fi movie than a horror movie. And, you know, you can definitely have a good mixture of both, but something about these, um, just didn't hit me the same as the original Cenobites. Uh, it didn't, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but definitely, uh, I have to agree with you, Ryan. It's the difference between the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man costume, right? And then like the current CGI Spider-Man costumes. Yes. Where it's like, I know it's not a video game. I know it's not all computery, but I can tell it's at Uncanny Valley. 
Okay, look, it may be Uncanny Valley and it may be polished to you, but it really shined for me. I thought that these were like my preferred aesthetic for the Cenobites, especially when we get a moment where she's pulling a pin from her head and we see how long that pin is. We saw how deep that must go inside of her. But when we think about the aesthetic of the Cenobites and we think about their silhouettes and how they appear in the shadows, man, when we get that scene... When Riley's kind of like at the playground and we have this moment where she's cut, she is marked for death, so to speak. She has to identify other sacrifices if she's not going to go with them. We have that moment, Sean, that you mentioned earlier with the change kind of explode from her. The tension, the trippiness of that scene and, and marrying that not with just how fucking insane that scene is, but framing that around her own addiction. And it's, you know, almost as if she can't even trust herself. She certainly has to know better, but then you have to wonder, okay, I took this, I've never hallucinated before, but the fact that I took something means that I'm not entirely reliable. And nobody really believes her except for her. And then, of course, Trevor, who's just a piece of shit. But the tension of that scene... And then the sadness that I felt when Matt finally showed up to help her and you know that he's going to get got and he gets got because he was trying to help. He was up worried about her and because he wanted to be a good brother, he ends up getting got. It's tragic. But the explosion of the chains from her was breathtaking. And I think my favorite thing to look at in the entire movie, which made it my favorite scene. You know, that's also my favorite scene, and it is less for the emotions of it all and more for how freaking crazy it is that she's going through this, The again, like we've said, the mark in her chest, the chains coming from her, but then the most important part is the chains hooking in to her brother. Oh my gosh. And that was like the first real thing that we saw, you know, and the way it like pulled at him, pulled him up out of bed. Oh, absolutely creepy. So disgusting. It, I, I can feel the skin being pulled from me and I, I feel like I would just die on that alone, much less all the other torture. Yeah. Uh, that definitely. I, I love that scene. I, I'm, I'm not going to pick that one because we got to talk about some other ones. My favorite scene in this movie was that ending scene. Like I love, I just loved being able to see. Uh, Voight being transformed into a Cenobite. I had never seen that before. I don't know that that's ever been shown in any movie in the franchise up until this point. And I thought it was just outside of just being really cool to see that transformation. It was just visually very, very, very cool. I did appreciate that scene. I actually enjoyed it as well. Um, they do have some characters that become Cenobites in some of the other films. I don't think they're as like flat out in front of you and kind of cool to look at, like almost it's like when Tommy, the green Ranger becomes like the white Ranger or whatever. It's, you know, it's cool. But my favorite scene is also about Voight, but it's when Voight decides he wants uh, to do what takes these backsies and wants to give back his gift. And Ryan, you mentioned the visuals of it where he's put that together. I actually really love watching the gears and everything fall out of his chest and like piece by piece, chunk by chunk. It's like falling apart and falling out. And then eventually they put him back together. But to see him like try to work his way out with them because they love rules. Cenobites and, and Leviathan in general love rules and love order and they love logic. And you can oftentimes in films kind of work things out with them. Not really to your benefit. You're always going to end up owing them. But anytime like people engage with like 
barters and trades with him. It's always very interesting. And so I love that he's not going to find a way out. They're not just going to put him back together. He's got to owe them something. But I thought it was kind of interesting to see them like do an exchange and know that really what he wanted was power. And then they gave him power. So in this case, of course, he becomes a Cenobite. Because what what else did they do? Put him back together and like go on with your life? Of course not. You got to take it. You never go back. You always have to keep going to the next threshold. Listen, I just could not believe for a fucking moment that this man had the audacity to trap these Cenobites, these regular ass employees in his own home and then say, let me speak to your manager because I want to return. That was some bullshit. I mean, it's a cool moment. Like, I like the outcome that we get. I like the I'm demanding more, but really it's like the tables are turning because there's still a twist. But the fact that that's the way he was framed, I was like... Uh, yeah, it, it did seem a, a little, a little tacky. I'll say that, especially because they like, you know, they kind of go with it. They're like looking like, okay, we can't just do a return on this. You don't have your receipt with you, uh, but we can do an exchange for store credit. Yeah. Voight sucked, but you know, I, I understood his motivations and everything that he was doing. I think like we kind of mentioned, I didn't. I wouldn't say I like loved any of these characters. I did enjoy Riley for what she was and what she was trying to do. I just think that there could have been like a little bit more connection. And one of our patrons kind of mentioned like I'm tired of people having to just be in full distress for them to have a come up story. And uh, to be fair, I don't know that she had a come up story. But yeah, it is kind of annoying to constantly just like walk in and have a character that's just like at their lowest low. But I didn't hate her. I just didn't love her either. And of course, you know, we've already talked about Trevor sucks. He's the worst. We all hate him as a collective, I hope. Yeah. I mean, you frame that and it's obviously reminiscent of Mia in the Evil Dead reboot. It's this idea of suffering, right? And I think I would understand it more in this movie. I remember being, I think, bothered by this in when, when we discussed Evil Dead and how it kind of felt like everybody was just kind of like ganging up on her and it felt less supportive and more like obligatory it felt more like a burden and i remember that dynamic not feeling great but in this movie in a in a franchise and in a story that explores suffering and you know from some perspectives is suffering pleasure is suffering pain i think it works i'm not crazy about it still don't get me wrong i think it's a bummer of a fucking time that you know she gets through this whole situation, she has a support group who may be infuriating for sure. Like they're not perfect people by any means. Uh, but I think everybody in that situation is in a way trying their best, right? And to know that she has to live on the other side of this, knowing that her brother is dead. Her brother's roommate is dead. She has her brother's boyfriend with her and she managed to save, but she has to live with that. On top of the fact that she was merely in recovery for her addiction, she's not out of the woods. At any point, she could have relapsed. So she already has so much going on. And this is an added thing on top of it. And we think about like, yes, the lament configuration. And we think about the grief that she's going to carry on from now on. I do think this is a more compelling take than the idea of just a really horny Frank and Julia in the original movie. Like this is a story that I think I'd rather see. But it is imperfect still because Trevor was just nightmarishly bad yeah that's uh, so that's interesting right because i really don't know how i feel about the addiction undertones throughout the film my first 
feelings where like, I don't understand why it has to be there. Maybe I missed something in the message that the movie was attempting to deliver. And, you know, what you just explained, Chris, kind of makes me maybe understand it a little bit more. But what my initial feelings were was that, you know, if it was trying to connect you to Riley as the as the main character, right? But it was it, it's genuinely hard to empathize with her because she was responsible for putting so many people in harm's way, right? And so that is what, for me, was a miss. And when I talk about the characters being the part that I didn't like the most, like that's a big factor. Yeah, we hate Trevor. He's a dick. Like we, I didn't even like, I mean, I didn't even like Matt. Like I think that's her brother, right? I feel like he, yes, he cared, but he was so like obnoxiously over the top and controlling that it was counterproductive. Right. And I think about people that I've had in my life that are like that. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. Um, so yeah, I don't know how I felt about the addiction elements in the movie for me, but I gotta say Jamie Clayton, Jamie Clayton was phenomenal. She did such a good job as the priest. She looked and played the part so well, just so eerie and, and the calmness was so unsettling, right? She just brought that perfect element. And something that I think I, I, I either read or heard in a review for the movie going into it was that she had a really hard time getting roles in general and the fact that she landed this role, she she went like all in or nothing and put everything into this role. And you can see it like you can feel it like she she blew the roof off in this role for me. I, I didn't even miss the old priest. I didn't even miss the old pinhead in this film, which is so insane to say, right? Like, obviously, pinhead is an icon and a legend, but for her to not only give us someone who is worthy of like also wearing the pins in their face, but to be of such equal power, if not surpassing in some areas, right? I found the original pinhead to be super refined and controlled. And that is what's terrifying. This pinhead, this priest was also refined, was also controlled, but there is something that feels even more sinister. It felt like you can make a deal with the original Pinhead because he's a reasonable guy. He's like, oh, someone got away? Okay, we'll hear you out. Reasonable. But this one, it's like you could try to make a barter. You could try to make an offer. She's probably going to still get what she wants anyway. Uh, but even at the end when she shows down with Riley and Riley doesn't want any of the gifts and we reveal that like that it, that is a lament configuration – there's something about her presence that feels more threatening. You know what I mean? It feels like she is the master of the pain, whereas the original pen Pinhead felt like he was kind of project managing the pain. She is definitely, I think, the star of this movie for me. She is the star Cenobite for sure. But honestly, she takes the whole cake. I have a lot of thoughts about, about Hellraiser because I think when you watch them for a while, they make it pretty clear there's this element of desire that's important to whether or not people are worthy or are, are not worthy and if they deserve the pain and suffering or if they don't deserve it. And so here it's, it's tough because like we're talking about addiction. And so I think it's smart that they didn't go with that desire because this is something that like people can't control. And I think they might have had addicts in, in other Hellraiser films and they, you know, they, they prey on it, the Cenobites, but I think it works here because 
you could get super deep with it. I'm not going to get super deep, but I think this destruction that Riley brings to the people around her is is kind of the point, right? Whether it's with the addiction or whether it's with literal like sex demons, um, there's an impact on her friends and her family. And Trevor, oh, Trevor, is just bringing her deeper into the rabbit hole and making things worse. And the friends, the friends know it, the, the, the family knows it, um, but she doesn't realize it until the very end when, of course, she realizes that truly this dude has been ruining her life even more. That, and she was thinking that she was going to get back on top at some point. But no, you were sinking further because this dude kept enticing you and was doing it deliberately, which she didn't realize, of course, at first. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Matt, you know, it's, it's tough because literally I've been watching intervention recently. And so watching that and then, then watching this, um, you, you kind of want to feel bad. You kind of want to hate him a little bit, uh, but you can't because you know that like what he's going through is an impossible situation. And so it's, it's, it's one thing I think if you were just watch this with no context, but watching it with the context of like knowing that family members often don't know what the right thing is to do. And sometimes what the right thing is to do seems like the wrong thing. It is like a really impossible situation. And so that anger and that frustration he's feeling on screen with her and the fight that they have, it's like totally real and totally works. But yet her actions continue to destroy everyone around her up until the very end. And so the only thing she can take away from all of it, the only thing that she reasonably can take away from all of it at the very end, being still alive and being still awake is the knowledge of, of what has happened and what she did and the effect that she had on those around her. Just like many other people, when they realize, man, I've been tearing people's lives apart and I'm going to have to remember that if I'm going to be able to move past this. And that's the power of accountability. But I just got to say, where the hell was Butterball? I want Butterball. Yes, same. We all wanted to see Butterball, right? Where where did where did he go? I could pass on Butterball to BH. Well, bro, his eyeballs were sewed together. Yeah. So Butterball is interesting because uh, I think someone in the chat mentioned this earlier that we have Cenobites in the earlier films representing like the seven deadly sins. And so we don't exactly have that take in this movie. We kind of departed from that a lot, I think, here. But um, Butterball just feels so greasy and like chunky and gross just to have like Butterball like pop in a frame. You're like, oh, get away, dude. Like so nasty. Okay. So to be fair, there was a bit of a contract issue with Butterball. You see in 1998, he was sitting in, t- in on a porch in uh, Halloween H2O and he just got trapped in that property and never could come back. <laughs> he does have a cameo like legit. If you watch Halloween H2O, he is a decoration, a Halloween decoration on our front porch. It's amazing. Oh yeah, he's he's a, he's on the porch in the opening scene, right? Or like in the very beginning? Exactly. Dang. He's stuck there on that poor porch forever. Stuck there with Miramax and Dimension Films. So I have a question. Uh, this is kind of a character question. Um, I'm going to agree, of course, that Jamie Clayton is a priest as Pinhead. Absolutely fantastic. A lot of power, a different type of power that we that we get here, and loved it every moment. Like there's a presence. I think you get. Like if you were to be near this person, first of all, you're like, I just want to look at you because you're so compelling. Uh, but at the same time, I know that you could rip me apart with chains. And for some reason, I'm okay with it a little bit. But the mask, did the mask look like a puppet to anybody else? Like with the hollow face going on? Just literally just like human flesh as a mask. I just thought like that looks like not not a, like an actual puppet that they filmed, but like the character looks like a puppet character. 
Oh, like Leatherface, but with pins? <laughs> Not exactly. I mean, it's the hollow face, though. Like if Leatherface couldn't get it in one clean <laughs> slice and just had to like segment it out? Like like used a spoon to make it? Now that's a mashup I want to see. Oh, God. To answer your question, no, I didn't pick that up. <laughs> okay. So my real question, though, my real question, though, is, um, is Voight taking over for the Chatterer after this film? Because we get that fully open mouth. At the very end. That's what I was thinking, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Good good uh, observation. Well, we have an opening. We have a vacancy. <laughs> He's probably being hired seasonally. This brings me to my worst part of the movie. This is just based on previous Hellraiser rules, and this one has a different take on the rules. But, like, how is Voight deemed worthy of being turned into a Cenobite? You know, why wasn't he just, like, you know, when they when they picked him up by the chain at the very end and dragged him into, the like, through the ceiling? Why wasn't that his his fate forever? Was that he would just be, like, hanging around by a chain attached to the Leviathan? Uh, and then, like, yeah, you're, you've got power by being a part of Leviathan, basically. You know, he'd been a customer for so many years. Do you see how long it took him to build that house? He has had nothing but, uh, you know, configuration products and... He was loyal the entire time. I think he earned something in in, uh, in in compensation. I think that was my perception of what was going to happen when the chain pulled him up. I thought, oh, he's just going to be like a part of something in the realm of Cenobites and like, you know, kind of be like a slave that that supplies like pain for them or something. That's what I was expecting. I was not expecting like you're one of us now because he seems like kind of skeezy to be a Cenobite, you know? Yeah, but you know, for everything Voight was, like, he was the mastermind that brought even more sacrifices, right? Like, he was behind, you know, partnering with Trevor and getting Trevor to lure in Riley and then Riley bringing all these sacrifices, not because she wanted to, but, you know, like, he was the mastermind behind all of the blood that was that was given, right? And so maybe that's what deemed him worthy. Do you think he's going to be the little bitch of the Cenobites though? Like, do you think he's going to be making their Starbucks runs? Oh, for sure. For sure. He's like the, he's like the new kid on the block. Like he's getting punked until, until he's not the new kid on the block. He's for sure going to get hazed like crazy. And then he's going to be the one who has to file HR complaints and it's going to be a whole thing. And then he's going to get promoted to a different Cenobite position. And then they're going to like wonder why the fuck did we let this guy in here anyway? It's going to be a problem. Like the guy wanted to speak to your manager before he could even be a Cenobite. Like that's just not okay. What happens, you know, like a couple years in and he's like, Hey guys, look, I appreciate, you know, the change and everything. It's pretty cool. Like my, like my little outfit and everything. Um, but I really want my lips back. And I think you got, you know, you've made, some some concessions from me before, but I think I deserve to be able to speak using my mouth. Okay, so I just I could see I could see that where like later on he gets he gets kind of soured by the experience. But okay, so conversely though, so that was the worst part, and then the other part of it is how are the victims deemed deserving of um, what they get? Because you know, in in a lot of the other movies, not everyone always I think is fully deserving. A lot of the other movies, like people seek the box, they seek the cube, and that desire for something is what causes them to be like deserving of of the punishment they get. But like, did Matt deserve to go out like this? I don't think like the dynamic here changed to where it's like you can shank somebody with this. It's a weapon you can use against others, and you just stand back while they get eaten up. Sometimes you just get stabbed, and that's life. Them's the breaks, kid. Yeah. I do think it, there was a bit of like, why, why is this happening to them kind of thing? It didn't seem to have the same, you sought this out energy that the original did. I totally agree. 
I've already mentioned my worst part, so I'll just go over it briefly again. It's Voight when he's ripped apart at the end. I love the idea of it, and it's not that I hated the visual as a whole, but honestly, this movie's so good, it isn't particularly easy to find a worse part. But for me, it just felt very photoshopped. I know it wasn't probably at all, but it felt that way. I don't know. There was just something about it where things just didn't quite work out. And obviously, it's a dude being, you know, having his skin ripped apart. So maybe I should be more forgiving. But again, there's not that much bad going on here. So that's all I got. Okay, look, I think it's interesting that you found that is your worst part and not not only Trevor's existence, but how many times Trevor got laid and how much we saw of Trevor in this film. I could have done with 100% less Trevor sex in this movie. Thank you. Famously, trash people get laid a lot. It's a thing. Listen, I guess, you know what? The sex was reasonable and uh, intentional in the original, but it just goes to show how much Riley was exploited. And I get the point of it, but I fucking hated it. It was even before we realized that Trevor's a total piece of shit, it was just uncomfortable. I disliked it. It was intimacy that you could still see through. Like, obviously, the situation just wasn't all there. And then we had to see his butt later. I mean, I know some people are into the butt. I'm not into the butt. I feel like we didn't need to see the butt. Listen, maybe we all know that if you have sex in a movie, in a horror movie, you're going to die, right? So maybe, Trevor, we just needed to see Trevor have sex so we can validate that he's going to die. But then Riley didn't die. True. Yeah. But maybe she, you know, she just played a part in ensuring Trevor's death. There we go. Weaponized the sex. Got it. Love it. That being said, we'll see how this is taken. But the worst part for me is the feeling that there was no main villain. Even though Jamie did an amazing job as the priest, we don't really see her come in until pretty far into the film. And yes, we see a good amount of the Cenobites throughout the film. Uh, we definitely get more of that, which is awesome. But it just never felt like there was a strong protagonist and antagonist throughout the movie, right? Like, I just didn't feel that. Like, it was... It was maybe like Riley against the, the, the Cenobites in general, but it just didn't feel like there was just one main villain to me. And that was, that was to me something that was a miss. Honestly, I, I feel like we saw the gasp more than we even saw the priest, which I'm okay with. I could see that, you know, in moderation. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, I want to see more of the priest, but I like the feeling that I want to see more of the priest. She wasn't overdone. She wasn't overexposed. It's not that it would have been the same effect, but like, uh, the original Jeepers Creepers. Everything was great in that movie until you see what the thing looks like. And you're like, fuck, this doesn't feel as good anymore. But with with this film and, and with the way that the priest is handled, I feel like we're able to see just enough to her to really make that shit sing. And they don't overdo it, which I really enjoyed. Gotta say, though, I'd watch this again. Yeah, definitely. You know, well, I think that the movie definitely has rewatch value and I'll definitely watch it at some point in the future. I don't know if I'm rewatching it anytime soon. I don't know if it's something that it's going to make me want to watch it again unless like someone wants to see it, right? Or maybe I just feel like I'm just going to, I'm just needing, I got the itch for the Hellraiser franchise and I'm just going to try to see as many of those as I can in a short period of time. It'll definitely come back around. It has rewatch value 100%, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to watch it anytime soon. Yeah, I think I can see why you would, but this isn't one that like compels me to watch it again. So I probably won't for at least a while. Yeah, I can imagine watching this again when I'm ready to revisit the whole franchise 
And it's something where I want to like set the stage, dig into the lore a little bit and then see what else I can appreciate. Like, for example, Sean, you mentioned the score of this film as great as it was, right? There are bits in this movie that are taken from the original Hellraiser and I imagine other Hellraiser films as well. So I'm sure there's so much in this movie that is baked in that I would appreciate more if I watched the other films. So I feel like I have to mix and match a little bit before I really devote time just to watching this one. I would for sure, though, watch it with someone who is in the mood for a horror movie, is in the mood to try some gore, but doesn't just want to see a person in a mask stalk someone. This, I think, would be a solid one for me to pull out and watch along with someone. But for now, until we get to that point of rewatching, there you have it, folks. The 2022 reboot, the reimagining of Clive Barker's Hellraiser, has earned a universal slash yet again. That's two for two for the original. Now, we certainly had a robust discussion here, but it doesn't end here by any means. You want to know what you think. You can join in on the conversation by hanging out with us for free over in our Discord. Click the link in our show notes to sign up. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons. Visit patreon.com slash hacker slash to enjoy more of the show with early access, extended episodes, bonus content, and live shows. Thanks again to Manscaped for making this episode possible. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, there is so much more the body can be made to feel. Stay safe out there. Um.